Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Pastor Joel continues our study in the book of Zechariah. We are in Zechariah chapter 6 with the message, The Four Chariots and the Crown. This morning we got a doozy of a chapter. Is everybody ready for it? Uh, we've been in the book of Zechariah. And if you've come to the book of Zechariah, and you, and especially the first couple of visions, and you haven't done much study in them, you might think, this is just odd and strange and weird. Uh, and I was comforted this week to read from one of the commentaries who, uh, who kind of proposed it this way. He says, if you've come and you don't get an answer quick from the book of Zechariah, it's because it's, it's meant to be that way. The book of Zechariah invites you to come and read it again and again as you're on this journey through your life to learn from God's word. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to invite you in. So that at the point that you finally get these visions or see these things, you are in the picture with them, seeing these words of God like right before you, and it pulls your heart in, and it makes you move and respond. But it's not a come, get a quick answer, and, and leave. So uh, Zechariah 6 is going to be... Um, the same way this morning as we get to the last of Zechariah's eight visions in the first, first part of uh, the book of Zechariah. I'd like to begin uh, this morning by reading uh, the last vision. That's uh, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, down to verse 8. And if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to ask you to stand again, if you wouldn't mind, as I read Zechariah 6. If you're looking for it in your Bibles, just go to Matthew and just flip back two little books and you'll be in, in Zechariah. Zechariah 6 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country, the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go towards the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. We'll stop right there. Let's pray again. Lord, as we approach your, your scripture, we need your spirit to, um, to make these words alive in us, that we would be able to see what you'd have, that we would be able to hear your words, Lord, that our hearts would respond uh, to the visions that we see, that we would want to be uh, quick um, to act and move at the sound of your voice because of what we've seen here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This is the, the eighth and final vision in Zechariah's uh, eight visions, and it's been a wild ride. If you've been here, these visions are um, 
they're very strange visions. Uh, but before we get to the vision today, uh, we're going to read the vision and then also, also the oracle that comes after this. It's the word of the Lord that comes after. I, I want to il- try and illustrate the point of our message today from a story when I was in eighth grade. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I played on the basketball team, um, and I wasn't that great. I didn't play for much longer after that as everyone got taller, and I didn't. Uh, but in eighth grade, I played basketball. We were in Cedarville, Ohio, and I remember watching this movie, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich. Has anyone seen the movie, The, the Pistol? No one? Oh, this is like, this is one of the most inspiring movies. And if you were an eighth grader in, on the basketball team and you watch Pistol Pete Maravich, he was a basketball star who had all these like drills that he would do uh, and he would dribble a basketball all the time. Like from sunup to sundown, he had a basketball in his bed. He was so dedicated to the sport. And as a little kid, I thought I kind of looked like him. I thought I could be, I could be Pete Maravich. Uh, and so uh, as he dribbled everywhere, uh, as soon as I got done watching that movie, it inspired me. Like I saw the movie, I saw his life, as we followed uh, Pete Maravich and goes on to the NBA and the star. And so I grabbed a basketball and I'm like, I'm gonna do that. And I just started dribbling everywhere. Like everywhere. You can imagine in my home, as I'm dribbling down the hallway, my parents probably just loved it. But I would dribble, trying to dribble as small as I could around my legs. He did this one thing, he'd go through his legs, he dropped the basketball, he dribbled a basketball on his, on his bike, and so I tried to do that too. Drop it in the house, sleep with your basketball. It, it just inspired me to action to be a Pistol Pete Maravich. What I saw, that movie, uh, inspired me to to action. And just like that movie inspired me to move and respond, today we're going to see that these visions that Zechariah has had uh, are going to prepare him to respond to the word of the Lord. What What he saw motivated what he did. These visions prepared him to respond in action. And that's our prayer this morning too, that as we see these visions and hear the word of the Lord, that it would, it would call us into response and action as well. So you might be sitting there and just be thinking like, okay, uh, we just read about bronze mountains and chariots. That didn't move me for nothing. <laughs> like what am I, what am I supposed to, to do? What, what am I supposed to even be seeing here? Uh, I see four chariots, different colored horses. It doesn't motivate me to do anything. So, so what are we supposed to picture? What are we supposed to see? And then what are we supposed to do in response? Well, let's return to Zechariah 6, and we're going we're gonna to find out. Slow down a little bit and find out this morning. I am prepared after all my study, which I've done more study on Zechariah 6 than I think I have probably any other message up to this point. And I am prepared... Uh, to consider this text and confidently say, along with all the scholars and commentaries out here, uh, this is my best guess. Um, Everyone humbly comes and goes, here's what we think. But but here's uh, here's the encouragement. I think if you understand the themes and the images and the whole biblical narrative, that as you read this, the story card's coming alive, and it, it moves you. It does something to you. Understanding the, the Bible in, in its totality and the wholeness, is, it, it paints this compelling picture. So we're going to look at that this morning. I want to divide chapter 6 into, into two parts. We'll look at the, the first part at this symbolic vision of the four chariots and the two bronze mountains. And then the, the second part is a symbolic act as he moves 
he's, uh, he's told to go and make this crown and crown Joshua the high priest. And we'll look at that in just a minute as well. But let's first look at the symbolic vision. Uh, Zechariah is given eight visions in the night, uh, which would have been a long night. Uh, and I think the reason that they're given in one night is that we understand them together. And there's been a lot of work done on how these visions kind of come together. Uh, people kind of uh, put them in different ways. Uh, here, here's kind of how I, I see it. I have a little graph for you. Uh, vision one uh, starts with four horsemen. Vision two is of four horns and the builders. Uh, on the way to Jerusalem. Vision three, Jerusalem's measured by someone. Vision four, we get the picture of Joshua, the high priest. That's coupled with uh, vision five, which is Zerubbabel, who is the grandson of the king from the line of Judah. Uh, vision six, we have this flying scroll going out uh, to all these homes. Vision seven is the woman in the basket. And now we get to uh, division eight, the four chariots, and we get horses again. That lines up with vision, uh, vision one. Uh, there's some way that this has been organized by the Spirit that builds in momentum. If you just read all the way through it, you would kind of have this sense of the Lord coming and the Lord gathering the first part of these visions. And the second part is him going out. There's this judgment and this, uh, this process of him like patrolling and going out and gathering uh, people back then. Because he comes out and goes, uh, comes in and then goes out again. And right at the heart of it, like almost in like in a chiastic uh, kind of manner, right at the heart, he puts... Uh, the high priest and the, the king together. So, so somehow these are supposed to be read um, together. He connects them at the center of Joshua and Zerubbabel. But we come to the eighth vision, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees the chariots uh, coming from two mountains. Let's look again just in verse 1. Zechariah 6 in verse 1. It says this, it says, Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold... Four chariots came out from between, uh, and here's where our English, uh, if you have a different translation, you'll notice there's something, uh, there's something going on here, uh, because these are, um, they all have the in front of them, between two of the mountains. There, there is an article, a direct article, right in front of mountains. It's the mountains. He came out from between the two of the mountains, and both of the mountains were mountains of bronze. In, in the Hebrew, it's very specific mountains, too. These, the mountains, you know, the mountains, right? The mountains. <laughs> and then he tells us these are mountains of bronze. Now, they're not, this is a visionary language. So, so the bronze uh, is this metal uh, that represents something. And most people believe it represents strength or judgment, or power. If you think of mountains made of bronze, those mountains are not moving. Uh, those are heavy uh, mountains. So uh, also we're connected, and just a few verses later, in verse 5, it says that, that these uh, horses, or these chariots, are coming from being in the presence of God. So there's something about uh, these two bronze mountains, the mountains, uh, representing the presence of God, where, where God has come. Look in, in verse 5. This is, these horses, they're going out to the four winds of heaven. They're going everywhere after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Two specific mountains representing the presence of the Lord. And, and if you know your Bible story, you, you might be able to, to pinpoint what are, what, are, what are two mountains where, where God's presence is, where, where God would come down and dwell and be 
with his people. It, this vision almost makes it set up as these mountains are like the footstool of, of this throne of God. Uh, and so that God is in heaven on his throne. And as his like footrest down below, he has two mountains or two bronze mountains where he rests his feet. And in that place is, is where heaven and earth come together, where God rules and reigns. Two mountains where God would dwell or heaven and earth would, would meet. Uh, a little later, we'll, we'll see this as well, but there are two mountains in the Bible where God came and, and dwelled. Can you, think, can you think of them? The, the, the first one, uh, the first one we really get is in Exodus 19, and it's Mount Sinai. This is a mountain where they come into the wilderness, and, and then they encamped at the mountain. Well, what is that? The mountain is Mount Sinai, where, where they were, and Moses goes up, meets with God, and God says, go down, get the people ready. I want to call them up to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And, and then he gives them, uh, orally, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and everyone's freaked out and, and afraid, and they don't want to go up because they're like, man, we're sinful, and if we go up to a holy God, this is not going to end well. So, so they're like, we're, we're not, we're not going to go up there. Uh, Moses, you talk to us, and we'll, we'll do what you say, but don't have God talk to us. Uh, and, and really, the command was, if you will truly listen, if you'll really hear my voice, then you'll be my uh, treasured possession, a kingdom of priests for me to all the nations. But they go, no, well, a holy God, how can we ascend the mountain and live with a holy God? We can't do that. Uh, so then they go out, and we know the rest of the this, this story, uh, until they get to uh, another mountain where God's presence comes down and dwells. So we have Mount Sinai. The other mountain, I believe, is Mount Zion. This is called the, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion. It's the place where they were actually standing as they were getting this, uh, this vision. It's, it's where the temple was built. So they build the temple, Solomon builds it, and then they, uh, they have this, this prayer. And after uh, seven days, the, the Spirit comes down and rests in the temple on Mount Zion. God dwelling with his people in, in the temple. Only humanity is, is sinful and rebellious. And so they bring idolatry into there and wickedness into the, into the temple until finally God's like, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done. And, and the presence gets up from Mount Zion and actually leaves, uh, leaves the temple. So we have uh, two mountains, Mount Sinai, where we're really asking, like, well, how could a holy God, uh, where he dwells, where a holy God dwells, how could sinful man come to that. And then we have Mount Zion, where we have where, where sinful man dwelled. How could a holy God remain there? We, we have this, uh, this tension of these, these two mountains. Now picture uh, four of these chariots coming from between these uh, two mountains out to patrol the earth. There's a, a picture of uh, this, this tension, but also the separation between God and humanity. Those people that are set to rebuild the temple uh, must, have, must have had this tension in their, in their thoughts as they're rebuilding and going, but, but what's going to change? Our, our hearts are still prone to wander. Uh, we're still wicked and evil. It will, how could a holy God ever come to dwell with us again? What, what will make us holy and clean? What would bring peace between us and our Creator? I think that's the picture of these two bronze, bronze mountains. And that tension or that problem, I, I think, leads right to Zechariah uh, 6 and verse 9. 
We move from the symbolic vision that he sees to a symbolic act in which he hears from the word of the Lord and then just responds. I think to me, it's like the moment that I'm done watching the Pistol Pete movie and the first thing I do and I'm looking for a basketball. I got to get a basketball because I want to dribble a basketball. I want to move and re- respond. We get done with these visions, these eight visions in the night. And then God tells Zechariah, okay, now it's time for you to move. I want you to act in faith and do some things. And he goes, I'm there. I'm ready. Let's, let's do it. So let's read this symbolic act. And starting in verse 9, a symbolic act. And the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah. It says this in verse 10. Take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both, and the crown shall be in the temple of the, of the Lord, Yahweh, as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord, Yahweh. And you shall know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. He goes from seeing these visions to, to being called to respond, to do something, to act. The Lord tells him, hey, Take from these, uh, these exiles from, from Babylon, these, these people who have just journeyed a really long way and were living as uh, strangers in a foreign land, and they're going to be carrying with them gold and silver, which should remind us of another story of exiles who come out from slavery back to the land carrying gold and silver. This is like a new exodus. And he says, take from that gold and silver and make a crown, and there's a whole bunch of thoughts there. It's actually in the plural, but I think it's the silver and the gold that are put together in two bands. Put a, make a crown and put it on Joshua's head. Now, Joshua is this high, high priest. So you can imagine Zechariah. God tells Zechariah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a, a king's crown from these guys. You're going to ask him for gold and silver from them. Make the crown and go put it on Joshua's head. That's kind of gutsy to do. Uh, and you'll see why. Like, this isn't, a, this isn't a common thing. Like, just go to the store and buy me some eggs. This is, this is really bold in what he's asking him to do. And he says, then when you put the crown on Joshua, the high priest of the nation, put this crown on him, and then I want you to pronounce this thing, behold, the man whose name is the branch. And, and this whole thing is a prophetic act. He's putting a crown on a priest. He's, he's making a priest a king, and that, and that priest king's name is the, the branch. Now, if you, if you know your uh, Hebrew uh, prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah have this uh, title for the coming Messiah, the, the branch. They use the branch as the one who's going to come and sit on the throne and rule in the power and might of God for eternity, like 
we, we get one of them. Just, I'll just show you one of them in Isaiah 11 in verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse was David's dad. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. He's really setting up, this is a, we're going to have a new David on the throne. David's been long gone, long dead, but there's going to become an, a new David, a new king. And then Zechariah dresses up Joshua, uh, and the Hebrew name for Joshua is Yeshua, which is where we translate our New Testament name, Jesus. So take Jesus, who is the high priest, and put a king on, uh, put a crown on him to make him a king. And if you were a Jew in that time, you'd be like, how? How can you do this? These are two separate positions. They're just, they're two uh, from two different families. You cannot have a priest who is a king or a king who is a priest. If you, if you are from, if you're one of those, you're from one family, or if you're from the other one, you're from the, the other family, but you can't put them uh, together. Either from Levi or Aaron, and then you can be a priest, or you're from Judah, or, or, or David, and then you can be the, the king. You can't be both. Like, there's just two families. It's almost like you're, if you were standing on Mount Hood, and you boldly announced, I'm standing on Mount St. Helens, and everyone would look at you and go, no, you're not. You're on Mount Hood. Or if you're on Mount St. Helens and go, I'm standing on Mount Hood, and you're like, no, you're not. You're on St. Helens. You can't get those two together. Like, they do not go together. But Zechariah is told, take from these exiles, make a crown, and put it on his head and say, behold, the branch, this coming Messiah, a, a, a picture of what this coming Messiah is going to be like. And he's going to do four things. Let me point out the four things he's going to do. If you're taking notes, you'll, you'll want to write these down. Number one, the first thing the branch is going to do is he will branch out from this place in verse 12. He will branch out from this place. His role of king and priest is going to be more than just for Israel. It's going to start there, and it's going to branch out from his own authority, not from anyone else's authority, to all the nations, the whole world. It's actually been the plan from the beginning. As God chose Israel to be a kingdom of priests, that they would reach out and branch out to the nations. It's, it's the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. There is this relationship that God's going to have with Israel that's going to bless and incorporate all the nations. That's what he wanted. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Go. Don't stay safe or comfortable. Don't just do it for yourself. This branch, this, this coming Messiah is going to branch out from there to all the nations. Not stay safe and comfortable. He's going to go. Here's the second thing. He was going to branch out from this place. The second thing is he will build the temple of the Lord. He will build the temple of the Lord. If you've been reading along in the visions, it's just a, just a page back, you'll, you'll, you might have this question of like, wait a minute, I thought Zerubbabel was going to build the temple because it told us in that vision, hey, Zerubbabel, you laid the first stone, you're also going to lay the last stone. Zerubbabel, you're going to be the one that completes the temple. And then just a page later, it's not like they forgot. The page later, he says, ah, this priest king, Joshua, Jesus, is going to branch out from there, and he's going to build the temple. And you're like, what? what I thought we had the, the temple. But he's talking about another temple, 
a temple where God's dwelling place would be with his creation. He's looking forward and foreshadowing the Jesus and then the church after that. Look in John 2 and verse 19. This is the same thing that the, the Pharisees and the scribes are looking at, at Jesus and, and he, answered, he answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, well, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. His body. The church. His own body. And then the spirit indwelling in his body, the church. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture. Uh, the New Testament isn't written at this time. They believed the Scripture. They believed the Hebrew Bible and what it was saying and the word that Jesus had spoken. That he would build a temple for the Lord. That he was going to, to build his church where, where his spirit would indwell in us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He will build the temple of the Lord. This is, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. This is incredible Prophecy and vision and word of the Lord. Look at the third one. The branch. It's going to branch out. He's going to build the temple. And that he will be a priest and a king. And it makes it very explicit in this. This branch will sit on the throne and he will be a priest. And then the branch, uh, this, this council will be, and it will bring peace between them. Uh, peace between them. Now, there's lots of thoughts on what this uh, between them, and it's not really that clear. But there is, uh, earlier in the chapter, there is something that is between them, or between two. Uh, it's the same Hebrew word, between and between. Uh, and there's between two mountains in the beginning of chapter uh, 6. And then we have peace between them uh, later on in the chapter. And I believe, and this is just my humble opinion, I believe it's the two mountains. Uh, they, there's lots of thoughts on, off, is it the office that brings them peace? But lots of commentaries have discounted that because there's, there's no rivalry between priest and, and king. Uh, it's not between two people because we have one person that's sitting there. Um, so I, this is just my humble opinion. I, I think it's bring peace between these, these two mountains that represent how could a holy God dwell with sinful people? And how could sinful people ever dwell with a holy God? Well, because of this priest-king, who sits on the throne, who branches out, who builds his temple, uh, who is a priest-king after the order of Melchizedek, that will go back and, and say that the, the priest-king who was uh, before that Abraham uh, gave a tenth to, he's going to have peace made between God and humanity. That sinful humans could once again dwell with the holy God. That they could dwell together, like mountains that were being joined together, fulfilled by the work of the Messiah. Now, this priest-king thing, we could go a whole long rabbit trail there, but let me, let me just read uh, Psalm 110, which is most quoted uh, scripture in the, New, in the New Testament, as they're really referencing all this priest-king, and how could you bring these two families together? Uh, and there's um, in Hebrews, it un unpacks all this, and I'm just, I don't want to spend very much time on it, uh, but it's this idea that Abraham, uh, he won this victory, and then he ends up giving a tenth of everything uh, to this king of Salem, who is also a priest of the Lord Most, Most High, and that Melchizedek, the priest, gives him bread and wine 
it's a, it's a foreshadowing of, of Jesus. And the psalmist picked this up too. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, A psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, a priest king that then is offered to us to come freely up the mountain. And because of that, we get the fourth one, the fourth thing that this branch will, will do. Number four, he, said he will share his reign with the church. He will share his reign. This, this priest king that's crowned, and then they take the crown off and leave it in the temple. And it's a, it's a reminder that this coming one that's coming, this priest and king that is coming, until Jesus finally picks up the crown and puts it on his head. And, and I believe if you just continue the pattern, he takes that crown off and goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you guys, the church, the believers of Jesus, you're going to rule and reign with me. Isn't that amazing? In Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We, we're heirs with Jesus as he's taking his crown and going, come on in, you can be a kingdom of priests with me. Revelation 1.5 says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood to, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That this role of this priest king who will sit in the throne, who will once again allow sinful humanity be, to be in relationship with a holy God. How are we ever going to get these, these mountains together? How are we ever going to reconcile the world? And if peace is truly possible between God and humanity... It's going to be because of a priest king who comes and lays his life down and then sits on the throne in the temple. It's, that's, the, that's the vision we should, we should see. Now, now I want to transition for just a few minutes on what should we do. How do we respond? How do we pick up the basketball and start dribbling? Uh, like watching the Pistol Pete Maravich, it makes you want to dribble. What, how, what drill are we going to do? What are we going to do? How should we respond? And Zechariah, the end of it, uh, we give it just a little bit of touch of what that looks like for us. Look at Zechariah 6 and verse 15. It says, And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. Remember, we're not, we're not thinking a physical uh, temple. We're thinking the, the church. Those who are far off shall come and help build this, this church, these, these communities of people that are following after Jesus. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When you see this multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, people of all crazy backgrounds, and uh, they look different, they have different experiences, all come together in unity. You know that the Lord is in it. He says, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, this church is built from those who are far off, turning and repenting and coming to Jesus, who receive mercy and forgiveness through the blood. You see this 
multifaceted group of people who have maybe nothing else in common other than the blood and resurrection of Jesus. So it doesn't matter your history, it doesn't matter your skills, your education, it doesn't matter how pretty or ugly you are, you are all invited to come to the mountain to be part of God's temple. So then in you, Peter picks this up too, then you, each one of you are, are like a stone in that temple or, or a brick in the temple that the Lord is building, this church. First Peter 2, verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, you're part of this church, this building, you're invited in. The branching out of the branch, this man, this priest king, is going to call many sons and daughters to glory, many people to the kingdom. And then it says, this will come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. If you will diligently obey the voice of your Lord our God. And if you are Hebrew, hearing this for the, really for the first time, it would send you back to the history of Israel, and it would send you to the place of Mount Sinai, where uh, Moses is up on the mountain, and God tells him these exact words. If you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19 and verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, the Lord of the whole earth. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Both those lines in Zechariah 6 and verse 15 and, and Exodus 19, 5, they both, they both have uh, the conditional if, and then there's two verbs. Uh, that we translate diligently, obey, or uh, um, indeed listen. It's two words, and it's, it's the Hebrew words shema, shema. To, to hear, or to listen, or to obey. It can be translated both ways. Uh, if, you, if you shema, shema, if you truly listen, if you're really listening, and, and you only find that, that phrase in a few places in the Old Testament, but one of them is Exodus 19 and Zechariah 6. And if you heard that, if you will truly listen, as he's calling, like, I'm inviting you back up the mountain, not, but not because you're good enough or that you have the skills, because, because there is this branch, there's this one who has come, this priest king who is inviting us all to come up the mountain. So here, I want you to imagine this. A community of people that reflect God in truth and grace and peace, and abundance, and contentment, inviting other people in. Come find the peace that you've been looking for. Come find the purpose that you've been longing for. And then that people, that group of people as a kingdom of priests, then sacrificing and loving and praying for their neighbors, and almost like a, like a light on a hill that people drive by and go, something's different about that place. Because it's a group of people that it's covered by the blood of Jesus through his death and resurrection, invited to come up to the mountain. The writer of Hebrews actually reflects on this as well, and I'll, I'll end with, with this scripture. In Hebrews 12, 
in verse 18, he looks back through the history of Israel and compares two mountains. Uh, here we have two mountains, again, where God's presence is. And, and he uh, says, uh, we couldn't do that, but we can do this one now. We can come up the mountain. Hebrews 12 and verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's Exodus 19. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where we're at today. The, the message of Zechariah paints this picture that we should then want to respond to and pick up and be the people of God, this kingdom of priests that invites people in, that prays for our neighbors, that is a light to the world. Let's do that. Let me pray. Lord, would you continue to put the vision before us that we would respond to, Lord, that we would move and act as... Um, ambassadors as images of Jesus in this world, that you would give us just uh, the next step and what, what we need to do. It's full of grace and full of truth. Lord, that doesn't compromise, but acts graciously and merciful, mercifully. And Lord, we don't always know how to do that. But Lord, would, you, would we try to just cling to you? Lord, would we return to your word over and over again? like picking up a basketball to dribble? Would, would we just meditate on your words to come back over and over again, to have that vision before us, that we would respond to any time your word speaks and ask us to do something, that we'd be um, responsive and attentive to your words, uh, even as we finish this service in the next week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.